Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Improving Outcomes in Patients with RVO, Tailoring Treatment, is provided by Clinical Care Options, LLC, and is supported by an independent educational grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's continuing medical education webinar, Improving Outcomes in Patients with RVO, Tailoring Treatment. My name is Dr. Carl Danzig, and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Dr. Arshad Kanani. This webinar is provided by Clinical Care Options. This program is supported by an educational grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. Again, I'm Carl Danzig from the Rand Eye Institute in South Florida near Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I have the pleasure of working with a good friend of mine and my former co-fellow, Dr. Arshad Kanani. Arshad, welcome. Thanks, Carl. Uh, looking forward to great discussions tonight about RVO. Great. It's, a great, it's great having you here, Arshad. Uh, for everyone, uh, Dr. Kanani uh, is based in Reno, Nevada at Sierra Eye Associates. Here are our disclosures. The learning objectives tonight. We want to compare the current anti-VEGF therapies for RVO to select the most appropriate therapy for an individual patient. We also want to develop treatment protocols in RVO that use current therapies most effectively for a particular patient, and that include appropriate follow-ups to improve outcomes in patients with RVO. We also want to modify an individualized treatment protocol for patients with RVO who are non-responsive to first-line therapies and who require chronic treatment for macular edema. So let's start with an overview of retinal vein occlusion, RVO. It's the second most prevalent retinal vascular disease. It is estimated to affect about 28 million adults worldwide and is the second most common cause of vision loss due to retina vascular disease. The most common reason for vision loss in RVO is macular edema. And of note, BRVO is three to 10 times more common than CRVO. So what do you need to know also? Prevalence increases with age. It affects men and women equally. And prevalence may be higher in Asian and Hispanic populations. In terms of epidemiology, we talked about how it's the second most common type of retinal vascular disease. It can be central retinal vein occlusion, CRVO, hemiretinal vein occlusion, HRVO, branch retinal vein occlusion, BRVO. And BRVOs account for nearly 80% of all RVOs. The average age is 65. Age and visual acuity of presentation are both predictors of outcomes. And risk factors include hypertension, diabetes, atherosclerosis, and open ankle glaucoma. Now, when you think about evaluation and treatment, now let's talk about, we talked about systemic risk factors just now, diabetes, atherosclerosis, and the treatment goals are to address macular edema. Now, if we see ischemia, well, we can't resolve that, and that actually may progress even with the best of treatment. From a systemic evaluation, there's no real definitive guidelines. 
but we do look at patients with certain risk factors. We looked at patients greater than 50, you know, looking at their high, uh, uh, high cholesterol, blood pressure, and we may refer them back to their primary care doctor to optimize these conditions. In patients under 50 years old, without risk factors, we commonly search for causes of a hypercoagulable state. Now, how do we diagnose an RVO? It's usually clinically. We see it, we have certain, you know, typical appearance, and we can diagnose it pretty regularly. We look at dilation and tortuosity of the retinal veins and retinal hemorrhages. And this is usually sufficient. However, there are multimodal imaging techniques which may assist, especially in patients who are young with atypical features, chronic condition. Uh, we wanna confirm the diagnosis. We wanna confirm the presence of macular edema. Uh, we wanna look at certain characteristics of the retina tissue itself in the macula. We use the OCT for these uh, findings. And we also use OCT for biomarkers and prognosis. We also may wanna quantify ischemia, whether in the periphery or in the foveal avascular zone. Furthermore, we use different imaging techniques to evaluate, evaluate response to therapy and need for further therapy, maybe even direct treat and extend protocols, and to also better understand pathogenesis. Now our options for multimodal imaging are OCT to confirm macular edema and to tailor our treatment regimen. We may look at certain biomarkers. We may even do an OCT angiography. And this may reduce the need for fluorescein. It's also non-invasive. But fluorescein angiography uh, is important, especially in atypical RVOs and especially important also in young patients. You may be able to look at the ischemic index to, prevent, to predict neovascular response. And you may also be able to diagnose uh, artery occlusions. Furthermore, wide field angiography allows us to look at peripheral uh, non-perfusion. Now let's talk about predictors of outcomes. So there are certain OCT biomarkers. Now we all use an OCT and honestly myself, I couldn't live without my OCT. It drives treatment, it helps diagnose diseases and it helps my patients also understand uh, how they're doing. Here we can see uh, with an OCT with the central subfield thicknesses, we can see intraretinal cysts, subretinal fluid, and hyperreflective foci. Furthermore, we can look at disorganization of the retina inner layers. It's called drill. And uh, patients that have drill have a worse prognosis in hemiretinal and central retinal vein occlusion. So the factors that affect visual prognosis, baseline best corrected visual acuity, the poor the baseline visual acuity, and possible greater VA gains, but there's a ceiling effect. And overall visual acuity outcomes are related to initial visual acuity presentation. With BRVO, eyes with initial vision of greater than or equal to 2060, greater than 75% maintained or improved vision. But in eyes with vision less than 2060, only over half had improved vision. CRVO also had a schism based on vision here. 2040 or better, 
65% maintained vision in that range. But if you presented with 2,200 or worse, 80% stayed in that range. Furthermore, older patients fare worse than younger patients. And maybe this has to do with the ability of the photoreceptors to recover. We also look at ischemic status in the beginning. And we look at the type of RVO, whether it's CRVO or BRVO, because BRVO has a better prognosis. Now, in a CRVO, if it's non-ischemic, about half patients, half the patients will return to baseline or near baseline vision. But prompt treatment is important. The shorter duration of macular edema is associated with better visual outcomes. So there's a timeline of different interventions for retinal vein occlusion. In the 1980s, vitrectomy for RVO with you know, vitreous hemorrhage was the only option. And in the, you know, the 90s, we did vitrectomy. They started doing laser. Uh, they tried doing laser anastomosis and even optic nerve sheet decompression, which is not practiced anymore. In the early 2000s, they did intravitreal thrombolysis, radial optic neurotomy, also not used currently. But later on, we started seeing uh, effects for of laser, anti-VEGF therapy, and steroids. So I'm going to hand over to Dr. Kanani to discuss clinical trial results. Thank you, Carl, for excellent uh, overview. I'm super excited to share some of the RVO clinical trials uh, data with you and the audience. And, you know, as you said, as clinicians, you know, we see RVO quite a bit. We use OCT to diagnose. You talk about imaging techniques and biomarkers, but what is the evidence we have in terms of drugs that we can use to help our patients? And, you know, we are lucky to have excellent agents currently. And the question is how we are going to be able to do better than the current treatment options. So of course, I'll review, uh, you know, the approved agents and, and some of the trials that didn't move forward. And then later on, we'll also discuss um, you know, upcoming uh, possible treatment options. So the first agent approved for um, retinal vein occlusion for branch retinal vein as well as central retinal vein occlusion was ranubizumab. This was studied in two pivotal trials, Bravo and Cruz. And the RVO trials are usually shorter than neovascular MD and DME studies. They're six months endpoint. And usually it's the last indication because it's the smallest indication out of the three indications, neovascular MD being first, DME second, and RVO third. In Brow and Cruz, we were, we were able to use ranubizumab monthly, and this was compared to sham, and it showed improvement in visual acuity. The endpoint was a mean change in vision compared to baseline versus uh, two to six months. Then we had a Flibercep uh, trials, Gal Galileo and Copernicus for CRVO and Vibrant study for BRVO. As you know, a Flibercep um, was a second approved agent in terms of uh, for the treatment of RVO. And in these trials, you know, patients were treated with loading doses. And then these were longer trials in terms of uh, doing PRN treatment and Q8 week treatment in the Vibrant study. Patients did go PRN, Bravo, and Cruz also with ranubizumab, but those were shorter trials uh, ending at one year. Then the SCORE-2 trial, which was an independent trial looking at bevacizumab. Of course, bevacizumab is not approved for RVO. It's an off-label indication. And then the LEVO study out of the UK also looked at uh, bevacizumab compared to ranubizumab and aflibercept. And then the Raptor and Raven studies with brolocizumab 
for CRVO and VRVO were ongoing and they were discontinued because of the safety signal we saw in the monthly neovascular AMD Merlin study of increased risk of inflammation. Now, you know, the bottom line is that in the past, you know, when this started, agents were used against sham. So the design were superiority studies. So if you look at Bravo and Cruz, Galileo, Copernicus, and Vibrant, they were superiority studies. And then now that we have established agents that work really, really well, now we're designing trials that are non-inferiority studies because if you have a treatment approved, you don't want to not give that treatment to the patient. So this is evolution that actually happened for neovascular AMD and DME. So for any drug going forward, it will be compared to an approved agent and likely would be showing or designed to show dura durability. In terms of laser treatment uh, for, for macular edema from RVO became standard of care for the treatment of BRVO back in the day uh, based on the branch vein occlusion study. What we saw was in the central vein occlusion study, um, CRVO uh, study, the laser was not helpful. Now, of course, we are moving away from lasers. This is before the advent of anti-VEGF. Sometimes we combine laser uh, with anti-VEGF if the patient is getting maximum dosing and they're still not improving. So let's look at some of the details of the trials that we have. Uh, the phase three Bravo study, as I said, looked at ranubizumab for macular edema following BRVO, hence Bravo, where patients were randomized one to one to one to sham ranubizumab 0.3 milligram, which is the approved dose for DME, and ranubizumab 0.5 milligram, which is the approved dose for neovascular AMD. Monthly injections versus sham injections, and then PRN treatment after that. Again, one-year study looking at patients with uh, vision loss from RVO with, with, uh, with macular thickening. If you look at the results, not surprising, but at that time, the results were revolutionary because we didn't have treatments to improve visual acuity in these patients. We were stabilizing and slowly improving with lasers. So here we were able to see almost 18 letter gains compared to sham, which was at seven letters really showing that we are able to improve vision. And if you notice, the visual acuity continues to improve over time, uh, but most of the vision gains happen in the first uh, three or so injections. In terms of uh, anatomy, you see that there's a robust decrease in anatomy after the first injection, and then the anatomy slowly improves a little bit more and gets stabilized. Now, of course, uh, you know after the six-monthly injection, patients went to PRN injection, and you can see the anatomy actually start to get a little bit worse. So we know that as practitioners, RVO can be very time sensitive, and, and patients, patients, um, patients may need more treatment, um, and they need treatment on time. If they go too long, the fluid can come back. So that's the danger of PRN treatment, and Carl and I will discuss our treatment paradigm later, but uh, you know, I don't do PRN treatment um, in retinal vein occlusion. In terms of the CRUISE study, it looked at uh, central retinal vein occlusion, again, one-to-one-to-one -to -one -to -one randomization, again, monthly injections, and then PRN um, after that. And you can see that uh, that there is improvement in visual acuity, and there is visual an improvement in CST. So again, you can see the decrease in macular edema is much better with CRVO. And that's not because the drugs work better. It's because CRVO usually has more thickening. And here you can see the visual acuity improvements again 
One thing that was surprising is that the sham gained more vision in BRVO compared to CRVO. And that's why I think we know that CRVOs are much more advanced, uh, much more uh, limitation in visual acuity. And that's why treatment is super, super important. When you look at uh, the PRN part of the CRUISE study, you can again see that, uh, that the anatomy starts to get a little bit worse. And again, showing that the PRN treatment um, may not be beneficial in some patients. Now, let's look at a flibercept. So that was ranibizumab, then a flibercept for macular edema from BRVO based on the Vibrant study. And here you can see that patients either had BRVO or HRVO, and they received two milligram of a flibercept. So one thing with a flibercept is that it's a VEGF trap, while ranibizumab is a FAB. But here we are able to give two milligrams. And we know as clinicians that the levels of VEGF are very high um, in patients with RVO compared to, let's say, neovascular AMD or DME. And there may be more differences that we see with, between a flibercept and ranibizumab in, in patients with RVO. And we will, of course, discuss, uh, discuss those. Um, so in this patient, patients were treated monthly. Again, the endpoint was at, at six months. So here what you can see is... Um, Patients uh, who are treated with a flibercept or with laser, and you can see that the visual acuity um, NCST uh, improvements here in this graph. And, and I think laser patients uh, went to a flibercept, uh, you know, at 12 months, but the vision outcomes were, were lagging. So it really shows us that we need to treat patients with RVO acutely and quickly. We can sit on um, these patients. Phase three Copernicus and Galileo studies um, enrolled patients with CRVO and again, vision loss from macular edema, a flibercept two milligrams monthly compared to sham here. And then uh, both studies were, were designed the same way. And what happened here was, you know, the endpoint is at 24 um, weeks in, in Copernicus study, um, patients who were eligible to receive a flibercept or PRN Basis and then they um, they were extended um, in an extension study with PRN extension. While in the Galileo study, continued treatment for week fifty two, and again this was uh, PRN for a flibercept and monthly for for sham injection. So here are the results. Um, when you look at the visual acuity, so I want you to pay attention to the center uh, graph. You can see again robust improvement in visual acuity that happens very fast, you know, 17 or so letters in these patients. And then what we saw was in the sham group, the visual acuity actually got worse. One thing we did notice, as you can see here, in terms of CST, um, is that there was some decrease in CST in patients with, who were treated with sham. But again, there was significant improvement in anatomy with the flibercept treatment. And, and what we see is that it happens after the first injection where most of the edema is gone and then we stabilize. And then, you know, when these patients received a flibercept um, after the primary endpoint in the sham group, you can see that anatomy does improve, but the visual acuity lag again, showing that we need to treat these patients uh, sooner than later. So, and this is uh, 12 months results again, Consistently, what we have seen is that patients with RVO do really well with anti-VEGF and they're getting maximum doses. I think as a field, we need to know 
which anti-VEGF can work better than the other in terms of durability. Hence, the design of new studies will be based on durability and non-inferiority. Now, in terms of score study, it evaluated triamcinolone, which is a steroid for macular edema uh, due to retinal vein occlusion. And the score studies were two phase three trials comparing one or four milligram of triamcinolone versus standard of care for BRVO and CRVO. And for CRVO, triamcinolone was superior to observation. And for BRVO, triamcinolone did not show a difference in primary endpoint or laser photocoagulation. Again, older studies happening uh, before the advent of, um, of anti-VEGF for these conditions. And, you know, one thing, as I mentioned, the delay in treatment uh, in Copernicus patient with CRVO were treated with monthly aflibercept or sham. And as I showed you that both arms crossing over to aflibercept as needed at V24, we did not see that the sham group catching up uh, in visual acuity, even though the anatomy got better. And in a subgroup analysis, a higher proportion of eyes gained 15 letters at 52 weeks in patients who receive a flibercept less than two months after the diagnosis. And those who receive a flibercept greater than two months after the diagnosis, again, showing that we need to treat this disease acutely. And the sooner we treat it, the better outcomes we have. So in terms of steroid, um, you know, of course, score looked at Triamcelone here is Geneva study looking at dexamethasone for macular edema from RVO. And the Geneva studies were two six-month randomized control trials, including 1,267 patients with BRVO and CRVO. And patients were randomized to receive two different doses of dexamethasone, 0.7 milligram or 0.35 milligram compared to sham. And again, Primary outcome here was time to achieve a 15-letter BCVA improvement. It's a little bit different than, than mean change in BCVA at week 24 from baseline. And what did we see? Um, in terms of uh, mean change in vision, you can see that both 0.35 milligram and 0.75 milligram patients did well in terms of improving visual acuity, in terms of decreasing CST compared to sham. RVO is also has inflammation. Steroids target inflammation, including VEGF. They don't lower the levels of VEGF like we do with anti-VEGF injections, but they clearly address that. So you can see that there is a peak of visual acuity gains about we day 60, which we expect uh, with, with dexamethasone, knowing that the maximum activity is six to eight weeks. And then over time, it starts to go down. Again, showing the benefit of dexamethasone. Now, obviously, steroids like dexamethasone have side effects. That's why they're not first-line agents. We have cataracts as well as IOP. And when we look at Geneva, though, there was no significant difference in cataract rate between groups over 180 days. What we know now with dexamethasone that usually one injection doesn't cause increase in cataracts is the cataract over time. And that's why in the MEAT study, uh, cataract rate was about 65% for over three years for patients who treated with dexamethasone. That was a study for DME. So the one injection didn't show it, but we know that continuous treatment will show it. But we do get IOP increases, um, you know, with steroids. So that's something to keep in mind. And of course, it's transient. It usually happens six to eight weeks after the steroid injection. And in most cases, just be managed with topical, topical drops.
so what happens uh, in in real world? Um, so so patients, you know, in studies have uh, you know different inclusion and exclusion criteria, and they cannot have certain risk factors. Their blood pressure has to be um, you know certain range. So real world patient population is much different than clinical trials. Carl and I do a lot of clinical trials. Our coordinators are really strict at getting these patients in on time. They get all the services, the VIP care. In real world, that's very difficult to do. So that's why we need to look at the data in the real world to see how these patients are doing. These patients are very heterogeneous. They have less rigorous follow-up and treatment compared to randomized control trials. And, and the question is, what are, what are the outcomes um, for, for these patients. So one way to look at it is to look at the big data analysis. Of course, the pros are that it's a massive patient population and it can tell us the signals, but of course cons are it's incomplete data set, individual data, sometimes uh, anatomy data and other things are missing. And of course uh, there's privacy concerns, so you can only look at certain characteristics. So we have, you know, the IRIS registry, which is an amazing registry by um, AAO, and it is the largest data set. And, and what this, this shows is just the demographics here in terms of RVO. And, and this paper um, by Lee and colleagues she looked at age, gender, and laterality of retinal vein occlusion in a retrospective fashion. And what we saw was from 2013 to 2017, there were 1,251,476 RVO cases in the database. Um, and it was more like retinal vascular cases they looked at. And a quarter of them was retinal artery occlusion, which is not the focus of, of this, um, this webinar. But 76% were RVOs. Not surprisingly, majority of them were BRVOs. So you can see almost two times more common BRVO. And, 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 and the risk of these conditions increase with age, uh, not surprisingly. Um, and then our CRVO were more frequent in men and BRVO were more frequent in women based on uh, this analysis. Other analysis from the Irish registry, which is also interesting is cataract surgery is not associated with decreased risk of retinal vein occlusion. This is uh, Bagdas Saurova and colleagues looking at um, the data um, in, in patients uh, with CRVO and BRVO developing in, in patients who underwent cataract surgery compared uh, to match control. And they, they had multiple different um, uh, parameters, age, race, insurance, et cetera, to look at to try to see if there are differences um, and what they concluded was a cataract surgery assault with small, but likely not clinically uh, significant increase in RVO. So when patients come in and say, well, am I going to be at more risk? And the answer from this database looks like looks like it's no. So Carl, I'll uh, pass it back to you now for, for, um, for the next portion of this webinar. A really great overview, uh, Arshad, discussing the clinical trial results. And also that last point regarding cataract surgery is a really important point to, to drive home for a, a group of ophthalmologists. Not necessarily everyone's a retina specialist. So great job. Thank you. You know, RVO is a difficult disease for many patients. Some patients do great, but many don't. 
And part of the problem is, is that these patients need such regular appointments and 53% of working patients have to take greater than one day off of work per appointment. And 71% of these patients require caregiver assistance for these appointments. And patients that have RVO incur greater healthcare expenditures over the course of one in three years compared with patients with hypertension or glaucoma. And let's be honest, frequent injections, does not, that does not make patients happy. Uh, it's intensive, it's frequent, and 75% of patients experience injection anxiety. Personally, I think that sounds low, 75%, so one out of four, we're just not anxious at all. Um, but 54% report anxiety for at least two days before the injection. And I see this in my clinical practice all the time. So it's a priori, it's just irrefutable. People desire fewer injections and fewer appointments in hopes of achieving the same visual results. So in the real world, just like Dr. Kanani you know, talked about, patients with RVO continue to require frequent anti-VEGF injections and that imposes significant burden. And a personalized treatment approach may help reduce this. Because what we see is that in the real world, as opposed to in the clinical trials, you know, patients are not able to maintain the same vision that we see in the trials. And we saw in observational studies, uh, they found worse vision gains and maintenance of visual gains with anti-VEGF therapies in the real world compared to the trials. Because in the trials, there's a higher rate of treatment adherence. So what we see is that vision gains in clinical trials are unsustained over the long-term. And we see that even in the long-term extension trials. Okay, patients with CRVO experienced significant vision loss in the open-label extension study. That's what the OLE stands for. And patients with CRVO who completed the CRUZ trial, which was the 12-month phase three trial uh, to assess efficacy and safety of ranibizumab, they were enrolled in this extension study. But what we see is that those visual gains were not maintained. And patients with BRVO in long-term extension studies and real-world studies receive fewer mean injections over 12 months than those in clinical trials. So in the clinical trials, we can see the mean injection number during year one, nine, eight and a half, and then real world studies, almost five, just under four. And in the long-term extension studies, only 2.1. So these patients are not getting treated as uh, regularly as in the, real in, the, in the clinical trials. No surprise, these patients don't have the same visual uh, gains over the long-term. Patients with BRVO in real world studies achieve smaller gains than in clinical trials. While patients maintained initial visual gains achieved in clinical trials during long-term extension studies. So in the long-term extension studies, uh, they were able to maintain those visual gains. But in the real world, it didn't work out quite the same. They dropped. Because again, even the long-term extension studies have more visits than the real world. 
So patients with CRVO and long-term extension studies and real-world studies, they receive fewer mean injections. Well, this correlates to their worse vision. Clinical trial patients receive regular injections, commonly Q4 weeks for at least six in a row, if not more. And patients with CRVO in, in real-world studies achieve smaller gains than in clinical trial, trials. And patients did not maintain the initial visual gains achieved in clinical trials when they completed their long-term extension study. So let me explain that. Patients completed a clinical trial. Their vision went up. They entered a long-term extension study with fewer visits, fewer injections, and they weren't able to maintain the vision they gained during the regimented clinical trial. So when we look at real world versus clinical trials in retina vein occlusion, patients in the real world studies receive fewer mean injections than those in clinical trials or long-term extension studies. And patients in long-term extension studies did not maintain the visual gains achieved in core clinical trials. And patients in real world studies did not achieve clinical significant visual gains. So in conclusion, in randomized controlled trials, Patients with macular edema due to BRVO and CRVO experienced significant BCBA gain, gains over the first year of treatment. However, in real-world studies with less frequent monitoring, these patients with macular edema received fewer injections and did not achieve similar BCBA gains seen in randomized controlled trials. In the long-term extension studies, which also had less frequent monitoring and fewer injections, patients with macular edema due to BRVO on average, maintained vision gains achieved in randomized control trials, whereas patients with macular due to CRVO, on average, did not maintain their initial gains. And this data highlights a need for new, more durable therapies to reduce treatment burden and alleviate the need for frequent monitoring. Now we're going to discuss a couple studies, a couple case studies. This is my patient a CRVO case study from May 2012. As a 59-year-old woman, she was a dental hygienist. She was very active. She goes to the theater. She goes down to the Florida Keys. Um, she works regularly. And she came into me with vision decreased to 2,400 in the right eye. In the left eye, she was 2025. She had no past medical history. There was no APD. Pressure was good. No NVI, minimal cataract, and otherwise normal slit lip examination. But what you see here on fundus examination of this patient, you see that blood and thunder uh, appearance that we learn in, in training with, you know, uh, hyperemic disc and congested disc with vascular tortuosity, dot and blot hemorrhages in four quadrants, flame hemorrhages. And in OCT, we can see diffuse uh, macular edema. Uh, and on this date, ranibizumab was injected. We sent this patient for a laboratory workup. She was 59. You know, sometimes my cutoff uh, is, is a little bit younger, but this is a patient that had no real risk factor. So I, I felt that uh, in this otherwise healthy uh, female that we should do a laboratory workup. And we did find elevated homocysteine and antithrombin three levels. She was referred to cardiology and she was initiated on uh, baby aspirin. 
by November 2012, she had had five ranibizumab injections and her vision was 2200. The edema is worse. Um, and at this point, we switched to a flibercept. One injection of a flibercept, her vision improved to 2050. The edema melted away. There's a tiny bit of uh, subfovial fluid present, but this is a, a pristine response after one injection. And after four injections, or after three injections, her vision improved to 2030, and she was injected for the fourth time and extended to a six week interval. Uh, again, fourth injection of a flibercept. When you look at how it was earlier to now, this patient is, is so happy. But unfortunately, you know, we try to extend her out, patient works, she goes away, she's very active. Her vision decreased with recurrent edema um, six weeks later. So we shortened it up back to four weeks, but it just couldn't be maintained. This patient was unable to be extended past five weeks. She had been coming, try to come monthly, sometimes it was six weeks, sometimes it was a little bit more. Her vision dropped from 2040 to 2080. A flibercept was injected multiple times, followed by a dexamethasone implant two weeks later. By October 2013, she still had edema, but was tired of the continuous injections and refused treatment on this occasion. Two weeks later, um, there was new nerve swelling with increased vascular tortuosity and more dot hemorrhages uh, with presumed ischemic CRVO at this point. A flibercept was re-injected. She returned two weeks later for repeat FA and followed by PRP. But with ongoing treatment, her visual acuity could never be improved and the edema could not be controlled. She had multiple dexamethasone implants, more aflibercept injections, PRP, cataract surgery, uh, and she had burnout of her appointments coming in every four to six weeks for years in a row. And her vision ended up being counting fingers whether or not she had edema or whether it's flat or not. So it really, this case really highlights the importance of more durable therapies to better, you know, maintain those visual improvements that we see early on. I'm going to let Arshad take over and discuss his case now. Thank you, Carl. Um, great presentation. And of course, the case really highlights um, the challenges and need for uh, treatment options that can actually help our patients have better durability. So I'll present this case followed by some of the upcoming um, clinical trials as well as recent data, uh, and then I'll hand back to you. So this is one of my patients, again, another young patient, 44-year-old male um, with no past medical history, um, showing up in December of 2017 with, with, um, with uh, changes in his vision. And when you look at um, this uh, OCT image in infrared, you see tortuosity of the vessels. We did see hemorrhages, um, but there was not much macular edema. And the question at this point, many of patients like this present to us for Carl and I, and we know what this disease is going to do, uh, especially with this much tortuosity. Of course, a young patient, we did the workup uh, like Carl did for his patient here. Everything was negative. So I told the patient that you have a lot of tortuosity, you have a lot of hemorrhages, 360. 
I don't have the fluorescein to share with you, but it was done, but it was an old system because, and we can't retrieve it, but we decided to treat this patient. So patient was actually treated with ranubizumab. Would observation, would have been okay with this patient if they're fearful for injection? I think it's okay, but we know what this will do. So this is um, the, the thickness map. You can see um, all the red, obviously highlighting that there's thickening, just not in the center. So this patient actually comes back um, four weeks or a month after the ranubizumab injection. And you actually see that there is more edema than it was before the ranubizumab. And the question was that the VEGF load of this patient was so high with this uh, CRVO that ranubizumab was unable to control. So we had a flibercept sample available at that time. And we gave this patient a flibercept. Now you can see visual acuity is down and the CST is quite thick. This is a month after a flibercept. And patient did very well in terms of resolution of edema as well as improvement in visual acuity. And he was treated with a flibercept again. And then, so this is kind of the summary that patient didn't have much edema, got ranibizumab, got, got a flibercept. And then what happened was his insurance won't cover a flibercept. This is seven weeks after the loss of flibercept. So remember with ranibizumab, patient was worse at one month. Obviously just got one injection, but Flibercept patient got controlled and then received another one. And then seven weeks after looks pretty good. We could not get him a Flibercept because of insurance coverage. And sometimes that's a real world problem that Carl and I both have in our clinical practice. So receives ranibizumab. Um, and this is five weeks after ranibizumab, uh, number two. So and now you can see vision acuity is down again. CST is also quite thick, really showing that this patient is high need. And that's where I was mentioning earlier that there could be differences in controlling disease between ranibizumab 0.5 and aflibercept 2 milligrams in certain patients. And this is a patient, obviously, that, that highlights that. So patient was put back on, on aflibercept. We have a bunch of these images showing the historical, and this is... Patient got treated and then patient was getting better over time. And here you can see that patient is again uh, back to normal anatomy with, with good visual acuity. And again, baseline, ranubizumab, aflibercept, aflibercept, ranubizumab, and then you know, improvement with the flibercept, control with the flibercept. And this patient has done well. He currently is on a flibercept. Um Every eight weeks, he cannot go longer, but he's very well controlled and still being treated. You know, that's the other thing. RVO is a disease that doesn't go away in most patients. I think there's some perception that it will just go away. And this patient is quite young and still needs treatment. So this case highlights that patient had worsening of disease with ranubizumab, uh, decreased vision, and with the flibercept, he was able to be controlled, but also extended, extended to eight weeks. So, so this is just... Some recent pictures, you can see that this patient is doing well, 20-20 vision and getting a flibercept every six to six to eight weeks. So now let's talk, uh, Carl, a little bit about recent and ongoing clinical trials. Uh, you know, we had a trial in RVO called the Beacon Study with KSI 301 that looked at patients with BRVO and CRVO. 
uh, compared to aflibercept, patients were treated less often with KSI-301, which is antibody biopolymer conjugate. We did, um, the study did meet the primary endpoint, but Tarcosumab development has been stopped based on um, trials not meeting primary endpoint in diabetic macular edema and initially in neovascular AMD. Frisimab is a bispecific antibody that's approved for DME and neovascular AMD. We saw the data from Camino and Balaton study, which I will share. And Aflibersap, high dose, which is 8 milligram, recently approved for DME, neovascular AMD, as well as DR, has ongoing quasar study looking at patients with RVO. And I think Carl was the first patient, first physician to enroll the first patient in that study. Um, looking at Bellaton and Camino, these were designed in non-inferiority studies, as I said, monthly uh, ferisumab 60 milligram compared to aflibercept 2 milligram. What we saw was the studies met the non-inferiority uh, with comparable visual acuity gains in both group groups, ferisumab versus aflibercept in both diseases, Bellaton and Camino. And then if you're looking at proportion of patients gaining or avoiding uh, loss of vision, this was also comparable between studies and between drugs. And in terms of CST, you see significant reduction in CST in both BRVO and HRVO-CRVO patients. Again, more anatomic improvement in HRVO-CRVO because more edema is usually present at baseline. Again, aflibercept and frisimab doing really well. In terms of macular leakage, there were some differences where more, more patients achieve absence of macular leakage with ferisimab versus aflibercept at week 24. This is a signal we have seen in the DME trials with, uh, with ferisimab also. This could be a biomarker for ANCH2 inhibition on top of VEGFA inhibition with, with ferisimab, but more to be learned about that. Uh, in terms of safety, ferisimab was well tolerated with a safety profile similar to so the bottom line is Bellaton and Camino at the primary endpoint. This data will be submitted um, to the agency, and hopefully we have approval of Frisimab for RVO in the near future. Now, of course, the second or, or 12 months past the six month of this trial is everybody receiving um, Frisimab in, in a treat and extend kind of fashion, and we are awaiting that data that will be available early next year in terms of how those outcomes are for those, those um, patients. And the Quasar study with high-dose aflibercept 8 milligram is an ongoing study. It's a randomized double-mask active control phase 3 study looking at safety and efficacy of aflibercept 8 milligram in patients with RVO. This is treatment-naive patients with BRVO, HRVO, or CRVO that were recently diagnosed within the last 16 weeks. BCVF 2040 to 2320 and CST greater than 300 or 320 based on, on, on the machine. And this study has a high dose regimen one, regimen two, and the standard uh, of care comparator, which is a flibercept two milligrams. So this is an ongoing study. We'll hopefully have the enrollment and then data from the study in, in the near future. And the primary outcome is change from BC, change in BCVF from baseline. Uh, measured by ETDR score at week 36. Uh, and the secondary outcomes are, of course, looking at anatomy, number of injection, three-line gainers, and extension um, of this. So in, in summary, um, anti-VEGF agents have become first-line therapy for macular edema from retinal vein occlusion. Um, 
you know, there appears to be some differences that can be found between drugs. I look at our view as a high VEGF load and we need more potent uh, drugs to control the disease. We know that treatment initiation may negatively impact vision prognosis. Monthly dosing regimen has been extensively studied. However, data suggests that individualized treatment regimen may lead to comparable outcomes, not PRN, but more like a treat and extend fashion. Steroids tend to be efficacious in terms of uh, controlling disease, but of course, the safety profile is different in terms of cataract as well as IOP elevation. And then the peripheral laser photocoagulation doesn't seem to improve vision outcomes um, or decrease anti-VEGF uh, burden in patients with macular edema from RVO. So Carl, I'll hand back to you to close this program. Great summary there, Ashad, and I'm very excited about uh, the Quasar study, which is ongoing with uh, high-dose aflibercept. And uh, my patients in my clinic, I know, are excited to participate. I'm sure yours are the same. Thank you very much for attending. And please go onto this website to uh, access the online evaluation form and to print your certificate. Thank you again. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Clinical Care Options, LLC, and is supported by an independent educational grant from Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.